Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Connor Hope, as always, here with my co-host, Brian Ralph. Uh, we are six and a half weeks away from Selection Sunday. And so, Brian it's and so I... so close. Extremely close. Uh, it seems like the last two and a half months, three months, have absolutely flown by. Um, we're, we're pretty much a third, almost a half of the way through uh, conference play. Um, and I know. It's been a while since we thought Florida was good. Yeah. It, uh, well, they, they may or may not be <laughs> decent. And, and we'll get into that because we figured it'd be a good time to talk about some of the bubble teams in college basketball, seeing as there's six weeks left for teams to finalize their resumes, put that rubber stamp on it, and, and make a case to the selection committee as to why they should be dancing in March. Um, and seeing as we're recording this at uh, 9.30 Eastern on Tuesday the 28th. This is, we're about 15, 20 minutes removed from Virginia finally getting that elusive good win by taking down number five Florida State at home. And Brian, I know we've we've spoken a couple of times about Virginia, whether they're on the bubble, whether they're off the bubble. Um, do, do you think that they this win will get them into the tournament or does this just provide context and a jumping off point for them to put together a resume down the stretch? It's going to go a long way. I think it puts them on the right side of the bubble. They're not out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of weeks to go, 10 or so games roughly for them to play. Still plenty of time for them to blow it (laughs) or strengthen the resume. But, But what this win does is put them back on the right side of the bubble, puts them back, I think, in the field on solid footing. So as long as they take care of business the rest of the way, win the games they should win, even if they lose the games they should lose, I think, I think they're in um, their defense is certainly good enough to give them that baseline. Um, I, I don't know if this gives them the, if this gives them the room to drop another bad game. I still think they're kind of in that um, real bubble area, although on the right side, um, but it does keep them on the right side. They still have work to do, but are certainly in much better position than they were before the night started. Yeah, and it seems like, and we've talked about this, the ACC is going to have a relatively low number of bids, probably, compared to years Mm -hmm. past. Um, Probably four, maybe five. And those teams that were sitting right on the bubble, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, you could argue NC State, Syracuse, outside of Virginia, they all have suffered pretty bad losses over the last two days. Uh, Syracuse got taken down by Clemson in a game they probably should have won. NC State lost to a UNC team that is suffering its worst season under Roy And after they lost to Georgia Tech, too. Right. Um, Which... Don't get me about... Don't get me started about Georgia Tech, (laughs) because they played Morehouse College this week for Lord knows what reason. Um... (laughs) And if the score holds in this Miami-Virginia Tech game, Virginia Tech will have suffered a loss to a team that has fewer than five wins in, in ACC play. Um, what can these teams do to really put that rubber stamp? Do you think that th- more than one of these teams gets into the tournament, and uh, which teams do you think have the best shot? I think we're only looking at four from the ACC. Um Duke, Louisville, Florida State, all good. They're going to be fine, no problem. But I think the rest of those teams that you mentioned are fighting for that fourth spot. The number four seed in the ACC, uh, double by in the ACC tournament, getting into, and then I think getting into the NCAA tournament as a bubble team, probably in that seven, uh, seven being generous, but in that seven to first four range, kind of the bottom half of the bracket would be where they would slide in. Um I think Virginia's going to be that team. They picked up that win they needed to against Florida State. I know their offense is absolutely dreadful, but their defense gives them something that they can at least rely on, which a lot of those other teams have not, have nothing they that they can. Now, the only way that those teams like a Virginia Tech, like an NC State, um, are able to get back into this, I think, um, like a Syracuse, is if they beat one of those top three teams, if they beat Duke, if they beat Florida State, if they beat Louisville. That 
those are the only opportunities that they have to get that resume boosting win that's going to put them back on the right side of the bubble or at least improve the resume enough to where it, it boosts them up a seed line or two maybe. Um, now, the problem is with that, because all of their resumes are so bad already, they can't avoid any more bad losses. Um, or they have to avoid any more bad losses. None of those teams have the resumes. They, they've already, I, I guess, taken all the the slip-ups that they can have given their, their current wins. Um, and whenever Duke, Louisville, Florida State changes things, but all of those teams have no room for air. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is going to be the season where just winning the games you should is probably going to be enough to get into the NCAA tournament. I don't yep. think the, the selection committee is necessarily going to be looking for those huge wins against the elite teams. Um, teams that hold serve are probably going to put themselves in a much better spot than a lot of these other teams. And I think that's uh, seen no better than in the Big Ten uh, right now. Right. Outside of, of Wisconsin, um, who lost a game they probably should have should have won, and on a bad, boneheaded Brad Davison play, which is... Uh, Shocking. Extremely surprising. <laughs> um, Ohio State is looking more and more like a bubble team after being ranked at the top of the state at the top of the rankings earlier this mm-hmm. season, Purdue, Minnesota are the two teams that I'm looking at as probably in the most precarious situation. Um, we've discussed that a 12 bid big 10 is not out of the question, but those two teams are obviously uh, in the worst spot right mm-hmm. now. Do you, are you still holding, or, or do you have more confidence in a twelve uh, a twelve bid Big Ten? Because I know Michigan did win today without their two best players, but mm-hmm. they they've kind of looked shaky over the past couple of weeks. Ohio right. State's been down. Purdue's lost a couple of big games. Um, is it is it twelve, or with all the other issues going on across all the other conferences, or, or is it more like ten? I think it'll be eleven. Okay. I think it should be 10, but I, th- I think because of what's going on in other conferences, it's going to get them 11. Right now, I would put 12 in, but simply projecting down the road, someone's going to have to lose some of these games, right? They're not gonna, it's not going to be split kind of down the middle the way it is now. Eventually, there's going to be one team that starts sort of taking on water. Um, I actually think Wisconsin could end up being that team. Like, I think Wisconsin or Purdue will be the team that's sort of left out of this bubble mix. Cause I think we look at it right now, the big 10 Ohio state, and Michigan have fallen down into that bubble picture joining Wisconsin, Purdue and Minnesota, Purdue. I trust at home to get the big wins. They're going to need to get in. even though they're, they're not anywhere near as good on the road. Minnesota has two legitimate, all big 10 caliber players uh, in Oturu and Marcus Carr, who I think can carry them to some more big wins and the way they've improved throughout this season. Um, I trust them. Uh, Ohio State, I think, is too talented to not turn it around. Michigan, the same kind of way. Wisconsin was a team I was down on before this season started because I didn't see the offensive firepower for them, and that was one of the things that hurt them uh, against Iowa. Um, I, I don't know if they can win on the road, and I don't know if they can win at least consistently enough at home against the good teams they're going to play to keep up with the Purdue's and Minnesota's Um, it's going to be an interesting race, but I think one of those five eventually drops out because somebody has to, right? Somebody's, somebody's got to lose these games eventually. And I think Wisconsin's going to being that team. Um, But I don't know. I mean, they could certainly get in 12 uh, or or maybe there's another team that falls out and they get 10. What do you, how do you view those five at the bottom uh, of the big 10 bubble picture? Yeah. I view Michigan and, and Ohio State as similar to the Arizona State of the past two years. Um, I think right. their non-conference is going to be largely good enough to get them into the NCAA tournament, regardless of how they end the season in the Big Ten. Um, I, Minnesota, I think, is in a good spot. I'm actually leaning Purdue uh, being that 
kind of 12th team odd man out over Wisconsin simply because Purdue has the worst loss of any team in the Big Ten right now in conference play, uh, which is their loss against Nebraska. Um, Mm -hmm. You could argue Iowa's loss is worse, but I think I was at least has some wins to counteract that. I think or that's at least a lot more than Purdue does. That's what I was going to say. I think Iowa's safe. Mm. Uh, Purdue being on the bubble and having that loss against Nebraska probably pushes them below the line. They also have the loss to Texas, which is looking Home worse and worse. Um, and so while most of their other losses can't be considered bad and, and with Virginia possibly looking like a better win, um, and VCU looking like a, a relatively good win. Purdue has a case. I, I don't necessarily think Wisconsin has the same outside of the Ohio State win, which is getting worse. Um, their win against Maryland and their win against Penn State are probably the things that are going to carry them into the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, Wisconsin has more bad losses. Uh, I think they, ha- they have that loss to New Mexico and the loss to NC state. Mm-hmm. Um, but that loss by Purdue to Nebraska, I think is probably pushing them right now below Wisconsin. I agree. Moving forward, Purdue has, let's count them up. One, two, three, four, five, uh, home games versus six road games. So if they hold to the same pattern, they probably finish the season five and six, maybe six and five, if they can pick up a road win. Um, So, yeah, I'm leaning 11. I think it's between Purdue and Wisconsin. I'd probably lean Purdue as the odd man out at this point, but Mm -hmm. who knows? I mean, it it really does bank on them finding a way to get their big men to perform at a good enough level to compete with the rest of the Big Ten, because right now – Outside of Travion Williams, none of their forwards look all that good. No. So that's going to be an issue. I got an, an interesting question in my Monday morning mailbag this week that was asked to me. I uh, was asked about Ohio State and Michigan. Both have fallen on the bubble, not looked really not looked good at all in conference play after really stellar non-conference resumes. As you said, I think the non-conference resumes for each get them in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But once they're in, who do you think is the more dangerous team of those two, given the way they're playing right now? Given the way they're playing right now, uh, I would say – well, I would say it depends on Michigan's health situation come March. Because if Michigan is fully healthy, I think they're more dangerous than Ohio State because Michigan seems less about – granted, it's a domino effect, but it seems less about their chemistry on the court and less about their ability to keep that momentum going than it is about missing their best players. Um, for Ohio State, I think there's there's definitely – there was an issue uh, that really started in that Minnesota game, and um, they picked up two wins after that, but then mm-hmm. they lost to West Virginia. They lost to Wisconsin. They lost to Maryland. They lost to Indiana. They beat Nebraska, but Nebraska is a bad team. They lost to Penn State. They lost to Minnesota. They beat Northwestern, but again, Northwestern is a bad team. So I, I, have, I have bigger doubts about the Buckeyes than I do about Michigan, which really their, their downward spiral started when they went out. Yeah, I, when Livers is playing, I think – and everybody's totally health, healthy. I don't think they're the team we saw roll through Atlantis. I think we, we now know that that was a bit of an aberration and they were just playing as well as they could possibly play. But they're, they were still a top 25, top 20, maybe even top 15 team when they were totally healthy with Livers playing in that sort of lead role. Uh, his injury has been the reason why they, they've fallen this far. They weren't a deep team to begin with. Not having the most versatile score hurts them. Ohio State's drop has just been because they've stopped playing well. Yeah. You know, like there, there hasn't been anything wrong going on with them. They're just – they're not as sharp in their defensive rotations. Their defense has dropped off. They were up there with Virginia the first two months of the season as 
arguably the best defense in the entire country. And since then, they've only been slightly above average. And that kind of drop-off can can really hurt them, particularly when you're not getting the same offensive production from your backcourt as well. And I, I, I don't think they'll turn that around. I think they're on the, the Arizona State slide, like you mentioned, from the past couple of years, where they just get in the conference play and something weird clicks and, and they just can't can't seem to figure it out. Yeah, so that's where I am on the Big Ten. Um, I still think they get at least 10 bids. Um, which yeah, will, we're looking at double digits. Which will easily be the most of any conference uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. The, most... the Big East, the Big East could be the the second most. Like I, I'm looking at the Big East right now. Um, they don't necessarily have a, have a ton of bubble teams, unless you're you put Marquette in the conversation. But I don't think so. Um, we're looking at, at at I guess what Georgetown, Xavier, and DePaul as the potential, you know, six seven bids out of there. Yeah, I, I think DePaul and Xavier are prob well, if they're both on the bubble, um, or I should say, if they're the ones that are on the bubble, they're going to be in trouble. I, I think both of them kind of need to get a couple of big wins. Uh, Georgetown is in a similar situation, although I don't think Georgetown has enough to earn themselves a spot back in the NCAA tournament. But but right now, as of now, they're on the bubble. Um, But they easily right now have five definitive Mm -hmm. NCAA tournament teams. I I would put Marquette in safely. So you've got Marquette, Creighton, uh, Villanova, Butler, Seton Hall. Hall. Final four, Seton Hall. And then you've got Georgetown, Xavier, and DePaul in the bubble. And... I'd say two of those teams get in. Um, I'm not willing to say all three, but but I I agree yeah. with you. I, I think two two get in, and then obviously Providence and St. John's are, are kind of done. Yeah, St. John's has some uh, some quality non conference wins to where should they get hot and go three weeks without a loss in conference play, I think then it becomes an interesting an interesting conversation about them. But I agree. I, I I think we're probably looking at six. I would love for Georgetown to get in and get that seventh. Um, but I, I just don't think they have enough firepower to keep this going and get the wins they're going to need, mm-hmm. uh, given the departures um, that happened in December. Right. I, I just, from an on-court perspective, as you know, as good as those moves were to make from an off-court perspective and culture perspective and just um, a goodness perspective, uh, minus the Akinjo leaving, um, they on the court they they don't have the same firepower, and we're that's shown itself a little bit, and I think is going to continue to show itself when they get into those games against their more high, higher profile opponents. Um, DePaul, I, I think we kind of realize that the magic is a little bit gone there. Mm-hmm. Xavier's the only team that I think has the actual personnel to get the that win or two that they need to to get back in there. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Xavier is the – I'm most comfortable saying Xavier is a NCAA tournament team. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you you move on, and I think the most interesting conference in terms of the NCAA aspirations is, is going to be the Big 12 because mm. they have three teams that could legitimately be top two seeds. And then yeah. two, maybe three teams that are on the bubble – like there's there's no none of those right. locks, but they're not a top seed teams. It's like you're either a top three seed, or you're on the bubble, or you're out. Yeah, I think Texas Tech is an is an interesting case for the Big Twelve because they have that Louisville win, and they have the coaching pedigree and Chris Beard, and you know they're not a brand name, but they're a name that has gained a lot of respect, mm-hmm. um, rightfully so over the past couple of years since Beard took over. Um, and so you have one camp um, that thinks Texas Tech is still like right on the border of the top 25, really good team. They've Their losses have either been with Jameis Ramsey out or two really good teams. Right. 
and so you look there. There's not holes necessarily in that regard in the resume. There is with the strength of schedule in the non-conference, and there is with the fact that Louisville is really the only team they've significant team they've beaten this year. Um, so they're the people who look at it from a reputation perspective um, and think Texas Tech should be in clearly. But then there are people who look at the resume perspective strictly and talk about them being uh, a very, very fringe bubble team. I, you know, I would still put them on the right side right now, but I don't know how much room for error they have moving forward. Like, I don't know how to necessarily judge where the committee would think of them being at this point. Yeah, I, if I were to put Texas Tech into kind of a grouping, um, after this win against Florida State, I'd put them in Virginia in the same spot, which is reputation will get them in. But if you look at their resume, they are a fringe tournament team at best. Right. Um, I think that's fair. And and I'm I, I think with all the shakeup that's going around, um, especially in the major conferences, the big the Big Twelve will get four bids. Uh, they could possibly get five. Mm-hmm. Um, I TCU or Oklahoma really has to put a stamp in, on down the stretch in conference play, but I think either of those teams can get in. Uh, now, it's going to be tough because you have three of the top 10 teams, probably top 15s at worst in, in the nation uh, at the top of the Big 12, but mm-hmm. the Big 12 is usually a very tough conference, and, and that probably going to play a factor into in the uh committee's uh considerations right at the same time you know you have to face three top 10 top 15 teams you get opportunities to beat top 10 top 15 teams that would take you immediately if you're in oklahoma from being on the right side of the bubble to being safely in Mm -hmm. or if you're tcu being the wrong side of the bubble to the right side of the bubble you're going to have these opportunities in this next month to pick up that one win that not a lot of other bubble teams in the country that we've been talking about are going to have that opportunity. Right. Uh, and so I, those will be the games to watch for Oklahoma and TCU and some of the other teams towards the bottom of the big 12. Those wins can be, are, are probably going to be the biggest, um, most significant movers if they're able to knock off a Baylor or knock right. off Kansas, particularly if they're able to beat Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, we, we talk about all these, all these conferences uh, that are in pi- power conferences that are in relatively weak spots. Uh, and we'll get into the SEC and the Pac-12 later. I wanted to talk about there are three, you could call them mid-major conferences. You could call them high-major conferences. You could call them somewhere in between. But three non-traditional power conferences that I think have a legitimate shot, um, if not are already locked to having three bids in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, the American right now is looking like a two to three bid uh, conference. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Memphis or Tulsa, that's that third or or even fourth uh, team to get in. I think we can both agree Houston and Wichita State are, are looking pretty good about getting into the tournament. Yes. Um, and then Memphis, which is kind of tailed off, and Tulsa, which is one of the reasons why surging. Memphis is kind of t- tailed off and, and is definitely surging. Um, read the transcripts. I, uh, <laughs> I I think they'll get. I think they're pretty pretty safely going to get three. Uh, what What do you think? Do you think it's two? Because I mean, it could very easily be two. I would lean more towards four. Four, honestly, it just just projecting moving forward. If the season were to end right now, it would be three. It would be Memphis. Wichita State and Houston, and I think all of them have the potential to win a game, maybe two, in the tournament. Memphis obviously obviously has to turn things around, and I think they will, and I think that's why I say four, is Memphis is too talented to keep this slide going. They're a team full of freshmen, team full of underclassmen, and it's not uncommon for freshmen to hit a bit of a wall this time of year, mm-hmm. and when you have a team full of freshmen, your whole team's hitting a wall. And I think we've seen that. Um, I trust Penny Hardaway as a coach. And I trust the talent that they have, especially in the American, even without James Wiseman in the middle, um, to turn this around. I don't think they'll get back to being the top 15 team they were a couple weeks ago. 
but they can get back to playing like a tournament team. And I think we'll see that in the next couple of weeks here. At the same time, I haven't seen anything from Tulsa that makes me think they're going to slow down anytime soon. The only thing that gives me pause about them is the fact that Frank Haith is their coach and you can never trust a Frank Haith coach team. Um, but then again, it's not March yet. And that's usually when Frank Haith tends to do his most Frank Haith things. Yeah. Um, that, so I, you know, I, it, I see their surge continuing somewhat. And because of, of what we talked about, the ACC probably getting less bids, um, the SEC, which we'll talk about in a little bit, probably getting less bids. Uh, the Big East probably getting a little less bids. It's got to go to somebody, and there's only going to be so many Big Ten teams they're going to they're going to put in. Um, and so, you know, if if Tulsa continues and puts up a good record in American play, I think they could get in as well and give the AAC four teams. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely see a clear path to that. Um, another East Coast conference that is looking at. Three, I think they they probably have about four teams on the bubble right now, or two, three teams on the bubble. One team definitively in is the A10. Uh, Dayton is safe. I think we we can all agree to that. What? But VCU, Richmond, and Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> Rhode Island has looked good. Oh yeah. And so that's another conference with legit a legitimate path. I think to. Maybe not to four, but a legitimate path to three. I think they for sure get three. And I think I would throw Duquesne in that mix as well. Um, they're one of the last undefeated teams. I know they didn't really play anybody uh, and have struggled more so in conference play. Um, but if they turn it around, they still, I think, have a chance to get in. I think I think you're looking at three from the A-10. Dayton's in. Uh, VCU is certainly on the bubble. I think the right side of the bubble, but on the bubble. I think they're going to be okay because I think they're too talented not to be and too experienced not to be. And then I think you're looking at one of the three of Duquesne, Rhode Island, and Richmond. Um, of those, I would go with Rhode Island. Like you said, the way they're playing right now, the non-conference schedule they had, they tested themselves. Um, their losses aren't horrible. Um, so I, I would think they would could be the third team. Again, these bids got to go to somebody. And, yeah. and so they're going to go to some imperfect team. Um and I could see Rhode Island, if they keep playing the way they are, being that third team. Do you think, because obviously there's going to be, there's two very clear groups uh, on the bubble right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the groups that have been consistently bubble teams throughout the season, which I think get probably the best look. If you have a group of teams that did really well in non-conference play and really poorly in conference play, um, that are sitting on the bubble, and then two teams, or two, then another group that has done really well uh, in conference play, and their non-conference was kind of weak or, or at least underwhelming. Mm. Do you think momentum's going to play any factor? Because obviously these bids need to go to somebody, and I don't think, right. un- unlike Arizona State, where I think everyone clearly saw them as a tournament team that that fell short in conference play. Um, but they were like they were probably one of two teams that uh, that year, along with a Notre Dame team that really didn't play all that well in conference play after they lost Bonzi Colson. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to look stronger? Because all things equal, at some point later season and earlier season games are going to have to to play a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I think it depend on who the teams are and who they beat in the non-conference and who they beat in conference play. Because if you're looking at a Ohio State um, and um, let's go with a, a VCU, so to speak, uh, if VCU were to it continue to not live up to expectations in a ten play, um, or that, that's probably a bad example. Um, but uh, it, it'll depend because if, if you have a strong conference overall and you do all in conference play that's going to mean more than if you're you know coming in from a conference like the a10 or the american where it's not as strong at the top uh, like a tulsa for instance like oh let's go ohio state and tulsa yeah that sounds like a perfect example (laughs) right because do you go with the team that's that's played really well in the american which uh, right now Wichita State and Houston are projected as seven seeds, and that's probably their um, you know biggest wins or over their biggest win over a seven seed. Um, 
or do you go with an Ohio State team that's really struggled, is certainly in the bottom third of the of the Big Ten, but has wins over elite teams in non-conference play, right? Like, I, I think in that scenario, you would favor um, Ohio State because all things, you know, momentum certainly plays a factor, but just from a resume standpoint, those wins mean more. And I don't think that puts them on the same plane and when, Momentum, I think, was only really considered when you look at teams that are on the same plane. Yeah. On the flip side, if you're looking at Ohio State and, let's say, Alabama, a team that has really picked things up in the SEC, knocked off Auburn, uh, couldn't pick up a couple more wins here against Ohio State, then I think it's a different conversation because I think Alabama would have enough of those top-tier wins in conference play to offset Ohio State's non-conference wins. And then I think momentum would come in and play a factor. Yeah, because because I think that's a different story if Alabama if that if that's the conversation. Yeah, no, I I I think that oh, where I'm coming from is is a that just that example an Ohio State versus Alabama, um, or you know a, a, I don't know a, an Arizona um, mm. that's looked kind of eh in Pac-12 play, um, just just because. While while they they previously or, or seemingly have weighted all games the same, this season has seen so many up and down moments for almost every team outside the top ten that at some point those games are going to have to mean something different. Um, That's true. I, I I would look at it this way. I think momentum matters because the committee looks at how a team has improved from the start of the season to the end and who's playing the best right now. At the same time, you are still beholden to your non-conference resume and you're still beholden to those losses that are going to go on there. Right. Um, you know, momentum can only carry you so far the same way. Uh, certain wins can only carry you so far. If you have enough losses, it doesn't matter how well you're playing month of February, it's going to drag you down a little bit. That's true. Uh, Third, third conference that I, I wanted to talk about that could potentially get three bids. Uh, that's not traditionally a three. This one is not traditionally a three bid conference. Is the WCC? Mm-hmm. It, it relies a lot on St. Mary's performance down the stretch and how the committee weights BYU with Yoli Childs versus BYU without Yoli Childs, but. Mm-hmm. If those teams, if we assume that BYU doesn't lose any more stupid games and St. Mary's is done losing, losing their uh, ridiculous games, I think that St. Mary's and BYU have a clear path um, to the NCAA tournament. I think it's going to be easier for St. Mary's to get in because they're not going to have to argue uh, look, we didn't have this player, and now we do. Um, but right. the a win over Gonzaga, I, I'm I'm stuck on Gonzaga for a second because their resume now, uh, if you were to line up the wins they have and the losses they have uh, at the beginning of the season, and look at them, it looks great. You line them up now, and their win over UNC, which at the beginning of the season looked like it would be great, is, you know, not, not notable. Their win, their loss to Michigan, which at the beginning of the season, or at least in the middle of the season, looked like it would be a forgivable loss, um, is slightly less forgivable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their win over Washington doesn't look all that notable no. anymore. The win over Arizona... Arizona and Oregon are still good, but Arizona and Oregon have also lost some bad games. So mm-hmm. those that win, I mean, their their best win is still Oregon, but those really good games that they were expected to play at the beginning of the season haven't turned out to look as good as they were built. Um, no. And so as much as I want to argue that Gonzaga is a one seed, if you look at their resume at this point in time, I don't think they are. I think they are because who are you going to replace them with? Like their, their resume has holes and is not, well, I shouldn't say holes. The resume is not as strong as people thought it would be 
or maybe we're hoping would be or as strong as it was two weeks ago. Yeah. But, you know, it's still stronger than Dukes, who's got some of the worst losses in the country on the resume. Um, it's still stronger than Florida State or Seton Halls, certainly Louisville, Michigan State. Or, I mean, you go down the list, West Virginia, every one of these teams has serious flaws in the resume. It's one of the reasons why we expect the tournament to be so wide open this year. Um, I think where that resume could come into play is if you end the year and Gonzaga suffers another loss or two and San Diego State is still undefeated. Or maybe San Diego State has one loss and it comes into, you know, if if those two are battling for a single one seed. I think that could be where that could come back to bite them. Um, But right now, I I don't think you can necessarily knock them um, for playing as tough a non-conference, I think, as you could, and some of those seems just falling apart due to injury or or what have you in in conference play. Yeah, for for me, I'm I'm actually torn between Gonzaga and Seton Hall. Um, You know me, man, Seton Hall. Well, and if you look if you look at their resume objectively. Um, that St. Louis win is look at St. Louis is, is looking not great, but looking better. Um, that that's an A ten team that could come in the mix and be in the, in the bubble conversation potentially down the road as well. Right. They, three of their losses are against a Michigan state team that probably should be in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, an Oregon team that is a potential uh, national title contender at Rutgers, which is a team that's turned out to be really good, and at Iowa State, which is probably their worst loss, but to lose at Iowa State is something that a lot of top teams have gone through. Um, They also beat Iowa State in Atlantis uh, just the week prior. Um, so you can always say it's, it's the old, um, analogy or thing they use in college football, where you play a team the second time they see championship game, you get to the college football playoff time and you're arguing and you can still say you beat everybody on your schedule. Um, you know, Seton Hall can't say that obviously, but they can say with that loss, you know, we, at least we beat that team. Right. And then they have a win over Maryland, uh, win without miles, pal. Well. They, they played well in those, what, two games without him? Um, mm-hmm. They have the win at Butler. And so if we're going off quality of wins, I'm not sure Gonzaga has the same quality of wins as Seton Hall, which is why I'm kind of leaning that. It, it, assuming Seton Hall doesn't lose more than one or two games down the stretch and Gonzaga drops a game, mm-hmm. then I might lean Seton Hall. That, that I think that's another example potentially of a one of those momentum versus non-conference um, debates, which we're probably going to have a lot of, just like we do every March. But, but this season, it could be more magnified because of how even everybody is. Um, okay, but we're not talking about, this isn't a Gonzaga, whether they're no, one no. seed. We're talking about one, teams. I'll, I'll, on I'll bring it back to St. Mary's <laughs> and BYU in the West Coast. I, I certainly think a win over Gonzaga would get either one of them in, no question. Um, I think that would take either off the bubble uh, and put them safely in because they have some of these questionable losses, both St. Mary's and BYU. And because I don't think we can count on them not suffering any more of those. I'm sure each one will probably suffer one, maybe two more. The WCC's chances of getting three bids is going to depend on how much the committee respects the West, excuse me, respects the rest of the West Coast Conference teams. There we go. Um, because the WCC is improved this year, top to bottom. Uh, I think it's it's a top 10 conference in the country for sure. Um, it's a lot more than just Gonzaga. It's a lot more than just Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU. Santa Clara is, is playing a lot better. Uh, Pepperdine has, poten- has shown that they can play at a high level. Same thing with Pacific. Uh, all of these teams have shown flashes at least – uh, and have some quality wins. You know, there's still going to be a three-bid league at most. But I think if the committee has actually watched some of these games, which, because it's on the West Coast, is a question, um, I think they'll see a stronger level of play, top to bottom in the conference, which could benefit St. Mary's BYU, because they'll know that, for instance, St. Mary's home loss to Santa Clara, 
if you look at that in a normal year, that's a that's a head scratcher one that could drag St. Mary's down. But this year with Santa Clara being a respectable team, that's not as bad of a loss as maybe the committee is going to treat it as. Right. Yeah, and and I think the the clearest path for them to get three bids is St. Mary's and BYU has to have to avoid uh, home losses. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think the best shot is if BYU can win at home against St. Mary's and then St. Mary's can beat BYU in Vegas. Um, just because then BYU wouldn't have that home loss to St. Mary's, which would probably end up being a Q2 loss. And both teams would pick up a, or at least uh, BYU would, or St. Mary's would pick up a, another quadrant one win. Um, which I think BYU's non-conference resume is a little bit better than St. Mary's this year. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. Um, I think it's two right now. One of either St. Mary's or BYU is going to suffer a bad loss or kind of cannibalize the other, but there, there is a path. And if, and if enough teams in the middle of these conferences drop off, I think it becomes a lot more likely that the WCC gets gets three bids. One of those conferences where a lot of teams in the middle could drop off is the SEC. I think right now, Kentucky and LSU are locks. Mm-hmm. Auburn should be a lock. I'm hesitant to say they are a lock. And then you've got teams like Arkansas, Florida, Alabama, maybe Tennessee and Mississippi State that are kind of on the wrong side, but Tennessee lost A and M this week. I think Tennessee, since Monte Turner's injured, I think we can count them out. Okay, so Alabama, Mississippi State. Well, Miss Alabama could get in. Mississippi State, I think, is probably on the wrong side uh, looking in. But mm-hmm. my issue is with Auburn, and and I know people are probably going to get mad. Say Auburn's a lock to make the tournament, but what happens if? Auburn drops off because it's not like, yes, they went undefeated, but it's not like their non-conference was all that impressive. Their best win was Richmond. Uh, They didn't have any good road wins. So they still haven't played a top 25 team. Yeah. I mean, they, their, their only two losses are at Alabama at Florida. So their, their losses aren't bad. Uh, although they're losing right now by 19 to, to Ole Miss. But again, on the road, they this would push them to, to what, two, two and three on the road um, mm-hmm. in true road games, and, and their best home win would be against Richmond. So while their, their win total right now looks like a tournament lock, they, if they lose to, to Kentucky, if they can't beat Kentucky – LSU uh, or Arkansas on the road, we could be looking at a situation where they have a high win total, but just don't have enough on their resume to get in. Auburn's going to be the team that I think is going to have, that could swing the most either way during the month of February. Because I think if, if they keep winning, at least at home, take care of business, if they beat all, for instance, if they beat Kentucky at home on Saturday, um, I think what's probably going to be this old Miss loss will be forgiven. Um, and if they're able to kind of hold serve at home, they'll hold serve with where they are, kind of on that four, five, maybe even six line, depending on how things go in conference play. But they'll kind of hold firm there. However, if they drop off and lose all the road games, lose some of the bigger games they have at home, I would still tend to put them on the right side of the bubble, but I would think they'd come really close to playing in one of those first four games. Yeah, because uh, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, let's say Auburn loses their three games against LSU and Kentucky mm-hmm. and picks up another loss at Arkansas. And those are the only four losses after this loss to, to Ole Miss that they have. That would put them at... 11 and four, I think. And in conference, uh, not 11 and four, 11 and seven in conference um, with just seven losses on the season. Mm-hmm. However, that would put their best win as either a home game at Alabama 
a home game against Richmond or probably their road win against Georgia or Mississippi State. So that's going to yeah. be a situation where you have to weigh them, kind of like USC two years ago where they had a bunch of wins. They had enough wins to get in, and I agree with you. In that situation, they're probably a first four team. Which is crazy to, to think about where we were with them just two or three weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I they – there have been questions about them the whole way, even when they were undefeated, because they hadn't played anybody, because they hadn't really gone on the road, um, and because they just they don't look the part when you watch them play. Um, they get by on on their athleticism advantage, which they had a bunch against lesser teams that they were playing in non conference. They were had the athleticism, athleticism advantage in virtually every game. They don't have that anymore. Um, and they would win with their pace. Uh, they want to get up and down the court to use that athleticism advantage. Um, teams in the SEC can play just as fast as them, uh, or at least nearly as fast, or can force Auburn to play a half-court game like Florida did over the weekend, or two weekends ago, and, and blew them out. I, I don't think Auburn has the versatility needed to maintain kind of where they are right now. I think a small drop is inevitable especially with teams like Alabama on the rise, because I want to talk about Alabama for a little bit. But um, I, I just don't foresee Auburn having the capability to keep this up. I could see them falling down to that 7-10 game, uh, being in either spot, 7 or 10, depending on how that goes. Um, on the flip side of that, I want to look across the state to Alabama, because I think Alabama is one of those teams, speaking of momentum, um, that has sort of found in their groove and is only improving. And I think it's only going to get better. And we talked really throughout the Avery, Avery Johnson era, the amount of just raw talent that was on Alabama's team. And it was so frustrating because he could never get the most out of them. They were so inconsistent. Um, it's why during the Colin Sexton year, they ended up in the eight, nine game uh, needed to run through the SEC tournament to even secure that. That's uh, why he's also no longer there. And they brought Nate Oates in from Buffalo and, um, Alabama got off to a really slow start as they adjusted to his style of play, uh, the super fast pace, struggled with turnovers, struggled defensively, and then sort of found their groove and are still in the process of breaking some of those bad habits that they developed under Avery Johnson. But they figuring out how to play that system and the talent is showing itself. And I think you look at that Auburn game as the, the turnaround point for them. Um, got a 20-point win at home against a previously undefeated team. And since then, they've just been they've been rolling. Uh, they need to pick up some some more good wins, I think, to solidify it. But I think they're playing so much better than the other bubble teams in the SEC that I don't, I don't foresee them being one of those teams that drops a bunch of games they shouldn't moving forward. I think, I think they're on a positive trajectory to get in the tournament pretty safely and then potentially do some damage once they get there. Yeah. I think Alabama benefited um, from their non-conference schedule in a way that Arkansas did not. And Arkansas was another team. They had one loss heading into SEC play at Western Kentucky, but their best wins were at Indiana, home against Tulsa, and then you could probably consider their win over Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech, their third best win. Uh, but... Arkansas has gotten into SEC play, and their only wins, they're 3-3, three and three, and their only wins are against three of the bottom four teams in the conference. Um, I guess four, four, yeah, three of the bottom four teams in the conference. And so mm -hmm. while Texas A&M is, is winning more games than I expected from them in the conference, I would still consider them a bottom four team in the conference talent-wise. And a bad loss. And a, and, and a bad loss. Um, I mean, Arkansas beat Texas A&M, but, you know, they, they went up against LSU, Kentucky, and Mississippi State, which I think Mississippi State is that litmus test game. And mm -hmm. they lost all three tough games that they played. So, yeah. The win over TCU looked good. But they're another team similar to Auburn where their non-conference schedule is not doing them any favors. And so they really have to kind of hold serve uh, in the SEC to, to avoid the doubts about them getting into the tournament. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think if we want to go over to the Pac-12 and kind of round out the, the power conferences here, the Pac-12 has got a couple teams in the same position um, with Stanford and USC specifically. Teams that I think are in this position and are fringe top 25 teams because of the sheer number of wins they have, right? They, kind of like Auburn, haven't beaten anybody super impressive, but also have only lost two or three games, four games maybe, on the year. And while those losses certainly aren't great, they're not enough to necessarily drag a resume down. And so I think it's interesting to see kind of where those two teams go because if if they hold serve the rest of the way, win their home games, win a couple of away games – I think both of them are safely in, but right now they're definitely on the bubble. Yeah. I have more I have more faith in USC simply from a talent perspective. Absolutely. Um, they they have probably the best big man in the Pac-12. Uh they have two senior players which while they don't necessarily look good all the time are are consistent enough to give USC solid minutes. My issue with both teams, but more so USC is their coaching. I don't think Andy Enfield was cut out to make the leap from Florida Gulf coast to USC. And it's showing with his inability to really have any sort of consistency at the end of games. And, And you talk about coaches who can win at the end of games I mean, you, you compare USC and Stanford now just just absolutely but, butchering the end of their games. <laughs> oh, and, my goodness. And then you have well, Stanford or- butchered the end of game at USC. Yep. And the end of game uh, against Cal, which mm-hmm. that Cal Yikes. loss is going to hurt because Yikes. that's going to be used incredibly hard against Stanford, I think. I mean, they, they really I, – I think Stanford needs to finish in the top three of the Pac-12 to get into the tournament. I don't necessarily think USC has to finish in the top three of the Pac-12 to get into the tournament. Um, but you look at Oregon, and you're talking about coaching at the end of games. Oregon has played five overtime games this year, and they won four of them. And their only loss is to the number two team in the country. So – you talk about that disparity in coaching between Dana Altman and, and pretty much the rest of the conference. Um, well, I, I will say Dana Altman does have the is the beneficiary of having Peyton Pritchard on his roster, which <laughs> plays a big role in, in those late game and overtimes. Right. Um, Arizona is another interesting case. I think they're 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 a lock right now. I know last week I said they'd play themselves off the bubble. Um, they still have losses to Oregon State, Arizona State, and St. John's in the past month and a half, but they their first two losses uh, are against the top two teams in the country, and then they have a loss at Oregon, and those are three of their six losses. So they're, they're looking pretty good. They have a win over Colorado. Their win over Illinois is looking so much better. Right, is is looking really good right now. So they're an interesting case. I think they fall probably in that six to seven range, um, but they're getting closer to a lock along with Colorado and Oregon uh, than they are a bubble team, which after their loss against Oregon State, uh, which put them at five losses over the la- the, their previous seven games, I, I think they're in a much better spot now. Um, but... Here's here's my thing with Arizona, because I think they're probably closer to the bubble than, or I think they should be closer to the bubble than people think, or will put them. They haven't won a true road game yet, which I think is a problem mm-hmm. and something that because of the way they blew the lead against Arizona State, because of the way they really struggled at Oregon State. I don't know if that turnaround happens anytime soon. We'll find out this week and weekend against Washington and Washington State, two teams they should beat. If they drop just, one of those games, they are definitely on the bubble because Washington right. State looks awful, and Was- or Washington looks awful, and Washington State already was not that talented. Right. So that it, this is a big week for Arizona, but if you also go back to the Wooden Legacy Classic they've played, which is the the neutral court they played on um, in those games. A two-point win over Pepperdine, 
a 10.1 over Penn, a 7.1 win over Wake Forest. None of those victories drove home any sort of confidence in Arizona. They play at the McHale Center. They're, they're a quality team. I know they lost to St. John's there and um, have some other kind of iffy performances, but that's where they play their best. Whenever they leave there, I think they're extremely shaky, and that's going to be something to watch this week especially. Uh, but over the next month as we, as we head towards March too, they're a team I think that could slip and get into that awkward bubble territory. They have six, six true road games left uh, before the Pac-12 tournament, and based on those road games, minimum they have to go four and two because their six true road games to end the season are Washington – Washington State, Cal, Stanford, and the L.A. schools. Mm-hmm. Outside, USC and Stanford, I think, are quadrant both quadrant one road games. Um, but if you slip up against any of the other four or, or two of the other four mm-hmm. and, and only come out of that two and four, three and three, um, on top of having to play Oregon at home uh, – if if they were to somehow or for some reason lose both games to Washington Washington State, I think there are going to be serious alarm bells going off with them, and I think immediately dropped the bubble, and people start looking at Sean Miller um, a little differently. I know that this is a long this is a long way out, and we're kind of projecting out here, um, but I think this has the potential to be a disaster for Arizona if they really struggled this week. I've already started to see some Arizona fans get a little bit restless and, and yep. they defended Sean Miller to the, to the end over this FBI thing, but they're looking at it. Like you got Nico Mannion, you got Josh green, you got Zeke Naji, and you can't win tough games. No. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean this to get into a Sean Miller, podcast um <laughs> but even if, if you take all the fbi stuff out and look on the court for arizona the last four seasons since they made back-to-back elite eights in 2014 2015 they lost in the first round in 2016 2017 they, they made the sweet 16 i believe that second weekend then 2018 with the number one pick deandre ayton got upset by buffalo in the first round pretty easily and then last year had that awful year, finished below 500 conference play, missed the tournament altogether. If you get in a bubble conversation this year as well with the talent that he has, albeit young, with the talent that he has, it'll then be four out of five years, or at least, I mean, so they make the tournament. Um, you know, three of the last four years, they haven't advanced past the first round of the tournament, haven't won a game of the NCAA tournament. Um, and so you, especially coming off a year in which you didn't make it at all, Having another iffy year, I think, from an on-court perspective, would raise questions about his job status, not to mention any of the FBI, NCAA things that are going on in the background there. And, and they desperately need to figure out how to win close games because their only game, only win in games decided by five points or less is that Pepperdine win. Yeah. They're lost to Baylor. They're lost to Gonzaga. They're lost to St. John's. They're lost to Oregon. They're lost to Arizona State. Have all been let by less than two scores. And so they, they desperately and, – and part of that, I think, is that they're reliant on three freshmen and really nobody else. Um, but part of that has to come down to coaching. But outside of those five, I think we can, all, we can both agree that the, the Pac-12, unless Arizona State comes on hot down the stretch, really doesn't have more than five teams with NCAA aspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to end this podcast – uh, not going into bold takes, but to... to oh, look... I got a bold take already. Okay, well, we'll, we'll go into bold <laughs> takes after this. I wanted to get your picks for top conferences to watch in terms of bid steals. Okay. Uh, I have two. Uh, I look at it from two different perspectives. I look at it from the conference that has the team with the best at-large resume, for like a traditional one-bid league that has a team with the best um, at-large resume, which I think is Northern Iowa and the Missouri Valley. Um, 
I think Northern Iowa at this point could probably get in with their resume as an at-large bid. It would be a first four game, but I think they could get in, and that could give the Missouri Valley two bids. I also look at it as, if you want to look at it from another perspective, of a conference where the clear best team could easily lose in the conference tournament because they're playing some other really good teams that may not be in-state tournament caliber, but close. And that conference, I think, would be the SOCON. So I think East Tennessee State is up there with Northern Iowa as having the best at-large resume from a traditional one-bid league. Um, but UNC Greensboro could be in that mix as well. Um, and so if East Tennessee State were to lose to UNC Greensboro in the conference tournament, nobody would necessarily bat an eye, and UNC Greensboro would go to the tournament as the automatic bid. But East Tennessee State would still, I think, have a, have a solid chance of getting in. So I would look at those two conferences, the Missouri Valley and, and SoCon, as potential two-bid leagues. I think we'll see one of them get two bids. It wouldn't surprise me if both of them do. No, and I think the only other conference you can really add to this, for, for obvious reasons, um, is the Mountain West. And the reason why I think they might be in prime position um, to to be a bid steal league is because – because of the way their tournament works, uh, UNLV plays their that tournament at home. And while San Diego State just beat UNLV at home, it wasn't an easy win. San Diego State has shown some spurts of iffiness uh, this season. Uh, they're, they're, they're still undefeated, but they, they haven't won every... It's not like they've won every game convincingly uh, in, right. in Mountain West play. And so you've got a UNLV team that's going to be playing that tournament at home. You've got a Nevada team that can can get hot, um, and they're a little bit closer to Vegas um, as, as well. And then you've got a Utah State team that has the talent, I think, to pull an upset against San Diego State. And so with everyone giving San Diego State their best shot, knowing that they have to win to get into the NCAA tournament, I think the Mountain West probably rounds out a group of three conferences that uh, should be watched at the beginning of March um, for, for possible bid steal situations. I like that. All right. Give it to me. What's your bold prediction? Alabama's in the top 20 next week. Wow. They got at, we're recording this Tuesday night, the 28th. They play at LSU on Wednesday night, the 29th and then host Arkansas over the weekend. I think they win both of those games. That'll give them six straight wins. And let's see here. And 10 and two over the last 12 games. The only losses in that stretch coming at Florida and at Kentucky in games that were pretty close. Uh, Get these two wins coupled with that Auburn win that kicked the streak off for them. I, again, I think they're playing about as well as anybody in the SEC right now, for sure, um, maybe outside of Kentucky. Uh, but they're they're right up there. And I think they win these two games and do so pretty convincingly and put themselves in the top 20. Okay. I, I, could, I could buy that. Um, that, that, that beats you don't anything. have to give one. I just had one prepared. That, that beats anything that uh, – that I could have said because uh, I was going to say, I think playing, uh, what is it? Three games in, in between Wednesday and, and Monday. I think mm-hmm. they do. Um, I, I was going to say that I think Baylor slips up uh, in, okay. in one, and, it, and it could easily be Wednesday against Iowa state uh, because playing in Hilton is not easy. Uh, Baylor's only a five point favorite, but it's not that bold, but I do think that this is this is the week where if Baylor's going to have one of those slip-up games, it's going to happen this week just yeah. because they play a game on Wednesday and then a game on Saturday and then a game on Monday. They haven't looked their, their best either of late um, outside of that win at Florida over the weekend. Um, also getting back to Alabama, don't forget that their last victory uh, was a hard-fought home win over Kansas State a Kansas State team that's going to go to the Elite Eight, according to Tristan Freeman. <laughs> Jeez. 
I, I think the other <laughs> the other thing that's going to happen this week, not a bold prediction, just a fun prediction. Uh, because I live about 20 minutes from Berkeley, Cal is going to eclipse their win total from last year by beating Oregon State on Saturday. And Mark Fox is going to look like a better hire than Mick Cronin. And that is all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, well, maybe, maybe maybe most people. Both Mark Fox and <laughs> Kyle Smith have looked like better better hires than, than Mick Cronin. But oh my goodness, that that's a story for another day. With that, I'm Connor Hope for my co-host Brian Ralph. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>